Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. What I want to share with you this morning, I'm just going to start off in, in one direction and we're kind of going to, going to shift in another direction. I don't know if this happens to you, but this has happened to me for many, many, many years now. Um, when Christmas comes around, especially as a pastor, as a pastor, you're going to get asked a lot of questions. And even I remember when I first became a Christian many, uh, 33 years ago now, there was always this question every year around Christmas time, is this really the time that Jesus was born? You know, there's all kinds of theories, all kinds of stuff. The Bible does not give us a date, a specific date. And so there's some people that will say, well, you know, it couldn't have been uh, December the 25th. It couldn't have been in the wintertime because, you know, the, the shepherds wouldn't have had the sheep out in the fields. Honey, we're talking about Bethlehem. We're not talking about Vermont on December the 25th. We're talking about the Middle East. And even though they have a winter, it's nothing like the winter here. Besides that, in Bethlehem, around the outskirts of Bethlehem, are caves where the shepherds kept their sheep. It was only for brief periods of time that they would bring them out into the fields. Okay, so that doesn't really hold any water. Then there's some other people say, well, you know, he was really born around Passover in the springtime. Okay, uh, other people say he was born uh, during the Jewish holidays in the fall. Whatever it was, he was born. Amen. Okay, so. <laughs> now, I will tell you this. I'll give you this information. We're going to show this website uh, on the screen. Starbethlehem.com is a ministry that has dedicated their resources and dedicated their energy to exploring all these possibilities. And what they do, if you go on there, you can literally watch a video where they have taken, with computers, and kind of taken the sky back to what it would have been like during that season of those years where we believe that Jesus was born. And they literally have pinpointed a couple of different scenarios. One is December the 25th where this conjunction of planets came together and stars, and that could have been uh, the one that the Magi, the wise men, saw. Another one they, they say is in June the 17th or something, uh, but it's just interesting. You can go and watch it for yourself. They also have the same scenario during the time when Jesus was crucified. It's very interesting. Okay, so what I want to talk to you about today is this. The fact is, whether... He was born on December the 25th or not. He was born on a day, yes? And so what I want to say to you today is this, that the why Jesus was born is so much more important than the when Jesus was born. So, so don't be foolish like I was when I was a young Christian. I would get involved in every one of these debates and every one of these things. Don't get sucked into these things. It's when somebody's like, well, what's the big deal? You know, we don't know if the Bible's true. After we, don't, we don't even know that Jesus was really born the 25th. Say, so, you, know, you know, you're right, we don't. But we do know this, he was born. He did live. He did minister. And he did die on the cross for your sins. And that's the thing that's the most important. Amen? Amen. So let's get into this. As fascinating as all these studies are, and I love to study all these intricate little things here, the main focus in the New Testament is not the date of Jesus' birth, but the fact that he was born. That God the Father sent his son at just the right time in history to accomplish redemption, to purchase our salvation, and thus to fulfill the promise that he made. Galatians chapter four, verse four, the apostle Paul wrote, but when the right time came, Jesus sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that, we could, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. 
So when you look at the bigger picture, it's less important that we know when it happened and more important that we know it happened and why it happened. The Bible is very clear on this. So, so the why is more important than the when. Amen? My prayer this weekend has been that you would allow the truth of God's word, as we're going to study it, to penetrate your heart, to kind of make an inroad there, and that it brings you to a place where you're prepared for this Christmas, and that you would finally understand the significance of Christmas, the significance of Jesus coming to this earth, the fact that Christmas night, whenever it took place, whether it was on December the 25th, or whether it was June 17th, or whether it was in September, whenever it was, represents to us an invasion, just like D-Day. An invasion from heaven of the light of God, the love of God that invaded this dark, this evil world, degenerate world that we live in. I want you to hold that close to your heart. Now, I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons, a few reasons why Jesus, the Messiah, the very Son of God, had to be born. Why did he have to be born? Why did he have to come to this earth? These are the things that we need to, to, to take hold of, and we need to grab hold of these things and hold on to them. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on Christmas. Oh, you're going to celebrate it. You probably already put up your tree. You probably put the lights outside. I hope you did it before the weather this weekend. But you're going to miss out on Christmas. You will end up celebrating a secular Christmas if you don't grasp the reason why. Why do these lights represent goodness to us? Why do we give gifts? Why? For what reason? Is it just to, to just make each other feel good or are we genuinely celebrating our salvation? Are we genuinely taking hold of the truth that this little baby, this cute, we focus on this cute little baby in the manger, but do you understand and realize, and do you walk in the reality the fact that that baby grew up, he became a man. And the last three to three and a half years of his life, he spent revealing the nature of God the Father to a group of people who had forgotten about him. And then ultimately, fulfilling the mission by going to the cross, sacrificing his life so that the Father in heaven could satisfy his anger and wrath against sin and didn't pour it out on us but poured it out on him. That's what we're celebrating. This great substitution where he came to this earth himself so that you and I would not have to go to the cross, that he went to the cross on our behalf. Amen? So reason number one, why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why did he have to be born? Because God promised a savior. God's great plan for mankind includes a redeemer, a real person, not an idea, not a concept, not a philosophy that's gonna make people better, a real person, a true lamb of God who came to take away the sins of this world. Amen? Amen. This savior would bridge the gap that was created between man and God when man sinned. Genesis chapter three, verse 14 says this, as a result of sin coming into the world, as a result of Adam and Eve rebelling against God, God comes on the scene and he deals with the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Verse 15 goes on to say, and I will cause hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, the woman's offspring, will, will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And we know that took place at the cross. 
Jesus, in reality, defeated the power of, of the devil. He defeated the devil, destroyed his power. We're gonna look at some other scriptures pertaining to that. But in the process of it, he was wounded as well. He suffered tremendously, tortured and tormented by the Romans, nailed to a piece of wood. And if that wasn't enough, after he, he expired and his spirit leaves his body, he then goes to suffer in a place of torment until God the Father raised him from the dead. So we see that fulfillment of that promise that God made the very, very first messianic promise in Genesis chapter three. Now, you and I need to take hold of this, and again, you're gonna hear me say this a lot. Why? Because I don't want us getting distracted by all the glitz and the glitter of the holiday, and we forget the meaning of this. Think about this. If Jesus Christ had not come to this earth, you and I, regardless of your philosophies, regardless of what you think about life and eternity, the truth of the matter is this. Had not he come to this earth, you and I must face the fact that we would be eternally lost and eternally cut off from God. There are no little compartments. There is no place that you go to until people pray you out of there. It does not exist. The truth of the Bible tells us there are two places that man spends in eternity. One is in a place where we're united with God, united with our loved ones that have gone on before us who place their faith in Jesus Christ. The other place is a place of eternal separation. Some people think, well, how bad could it be? Well, you know, this, I'm, I'm experiencing hell on earth. Honey, this is the most hell that a believer will ever experience is on this earth. But for the non-believer, this is the most heaven they will ever experience. As bad as you think hell that earth is, hell can't even be described in human terms. And we don't need to go there. Why? We have a savior. Amen. We have a redeemer who's come. Amen. So, so this plan of the enemy, see, we're always talking about God's plan. God's got a plan for your life. Well, guess what? The enemy has a plan for your life too. The enemy's plan is to divide you from God. He uses that divide and conquer tactic. He divides a person from God through lies. Then once he's got them, he begins to impoverish them. He begins to make them sick, fill them with disease so that they spend their life on this planet in misery and then enslave their minds with fear. That's exactly the plan of the enemy for your life and for mine. But thank God we had a redeemer that came in and stepped in. Amen? Amen? Amen. So listen to this scripture here. I love the way this puts it. First John chapter 3, verse 8. The Apostle John writes to the church, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But then he goes on to say this, watch this now, for this purpose, so now he's gonna state the goal, he's gonna state the mission, he's gonna state the purpose for the Son of God to come to this earth. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. For what? That he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. Let me ask you this question, what are the works of the devil? People would say, well, well you know, disease and sickness, Poverty, depression, oppression, sexual degradation and, and degeneracy and all these things. No, those are the outcome of the works of the devil. The very first work of the devil that we see in the Bible is what? Lies. Lies. He used the lie to divide Adam and Eve from their father in heaven, from their creator. Lies. 
And he's used, he does the same thing today. He lies to people. He gets you to believe something that's not true. He gets you to believe something about God that's not true. He may get you to believe something about another individual that you're in relationship with that's not true. Who gets you to believe that things in the Bible and try to undermine the truth of God's word. Say, well, God really didn't mean this. Well, God meant this, and then, you know, well, God meant this back then, but now, you know, things have evolved. Yeah, they've evolved. It's gotten a lot worse. I don't know where this concept comes in our human society to think that, that mankind has gotten better throughout the centuries. No, we've degenerated more and more throughout the centuries. Are you listening to me this morning? Yes. You and I need to understand the reason why he had to come. Remember the why of Christmas is so much more important than the when. Number two, Jesus had to come to this earth for what reason? To reveal himself to those who had lost sight of their creator. God sent Jesus to the earth to reveal himself, to reveal God. You remember Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you see the works that I do, the, the, the Father does, you'll do them too if you believe in me. So Jesus had to come to the earth to do what? What do we say the works of the devil were? Lies. So Jesus comes to the earth to reveal what? Truth. Without Jesus coming to the earth, to reveal truth. Yeah, he could have came to the earth to sacrifice himself and we would have an opportunity to put our trust in him and get to heaven, but we wouldn't know the God who saved us. It's only through Jesus coming to this planet. It's only through him revealing to us through the word of God, overturning the lies of the enemy. Bible tells us in John chapter one that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why is there such an emphasis on truth? Because the enemy was successful in dividing mankind from God by using lies. You following me? Listen to Romans chapter one. Maybe this chapter now is gonna make a lot of sense to us. Because this chapter, a lot of people have used for a lot of different reasons. But look at Romans chapter one. I wanna start in verse 21. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and addressing this issue of how did mankind get to the state? Now you understand he's talking about a society very much like our own, very degenerate, cold-blooded, uh, unloving, self-centered, just all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of just crazy living. And this, to this society, Paul writes, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. We still see this today. You listen to these fools on television who claim to say they know about God. It's their theory about God. Well, well, this is what we think about God. And you sit there and listen. As a believer, you sit there and listen and go, where the heck did they get this from? What book have you been reading? You certainly haven't been reading the Bible. And then all of them use the same phrase that I can't stand this phrase. Well, the way I see it is, who cares the way you see it? If the way you see it is not based on the truth of the word of God, what do I care what your opinion is? Now, you have a right to opinion? Sure, you have a right to opinion. But that opinion may put you in eternity, lost and separated from God. So you tell me what's more value? The opinion that's been shaped by just whatever thoughts and philosophies come into the mind of man or the truth of the word of God? I'll put myself with the truth of the word of God every single day. But watch this now. He's talking about mankind's just descendancy over throughout the centuries. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, as a result of what? As a result of thinking foolish ideas about God, their minds became what? Dark and confused. Isn't that interesting? They didn't start out dark and confused. 
They become dark and confused when instead of focusing on the truth of God, they focus on foolish ideas that they come up with themselves. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. Some of the most foolish individuals ever talked to are people that have had great, great, great levels of education, book learning, but don't know how to turn the doorknob to get out of the house. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who was worthy of eternal praise, amen. When Adam and Eve turned from God, something in their nature changed. Something in their nature changed. I said this in the last service, I really hadn't thought about it this way. When we get into eternity, and we have the opportunity to meet with and sit and talk with Adam and Eve, if we were asked them the question, what did you sense on that day? What, what, what took place? I believe with all my heart they would say something like this. You know, we couldn't put our finger on it, but we knew something changed. We knew in here. Have you ever had that happen? You know in here, something changed. Something's not right. Something's off. Not realizing how drastic the change was. You see what happened? When they rebelled against God, the very first thing that happened was this. They were no longer one with him. Now think about this. Let's flip it to the positive. When you and I take that step to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's the son of God. I believe God raised him from the dead. Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord, be my savior. What happens? There's a reconnection. We once again become one with our creator, with our Father in heaven. This is significant. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. The fact that this baby Cain was born into this earth in order to grow up. For what reason? To destroy the lies, the works of the devil. For what purpose? To bring us back in relationship with the Father. Amen? Amen. Maybe we can understand it this way. Because this, this has always fascinated me. What happened with Adam and Eve? How could two individuals that experienced so much goodness from the Father, how could they make this decision? And again, I don't believe that it was a, a one-time assault on Eve's mind from, from Satan, from, from, in the form of the serpent. I believe this was the result of a, of a bunch of conversations, of a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Have you ever had a very close relationship with someone? Have you ever had somebody in your life that you could share all your heart, your, your, you could just share your heart, you could share your secrets, they know your strengths, they are aware of your weaknesses, and this has become the person that you're most comfortable with, and then something happens. Some out of character action, something that you would never expect them to do or you to do, or words come forth and the entire nature of the relationship changes. You don't trust each other anymore. There's a, a guardedness where before there was such openness and vulnerability, now there's a guardedness that takes place. Your times together become very awkward and uncomfortable. 
And even though you'd do anything to get that back again, there's nothing you could do. It's beyond your power. Well, thank God it wasn't beyond God's power. Because that's exactly what happened. Now watch this. Now there is a process that happens when relationships go bad. And, and of course, relationships we're talking about to whatever degree, whether it's a marital relationship, whether it's family relationship between siblings or parents and children, or whether it's just through friendships, there's something that happens. And I believe this is exactly what happened in the case of Adam and Eve. You see, the devil operates with lies. Lies always come in the form of a seed. Do you ever realize that? You never get an outright, blatant, obvious lie because you go, I don't believe that. And you turn away from it. What the enemy always does is he puts this much truth and then this much lie. And little by little gets you to swallow it. Just like when you were a kid and you had to take some medicine and your mom diluted it or put it in your chocolate milk or your apple juice or any of those things that you don't realize. And afterwards you went, wait a minute, she got me again. (laughs) And so here's what I believe happened. Little by little, little by little, because, you know, relationships don't go split overnight. Very, very rarely does that happen. And then there's always a backstory to that. What happens is this. To the extent that we disconnect from someone is the extent that the enemy has the opportunity to plant seeds of lies. Something happens. You get offended at someone. When it, let's say for this situation with a husband and wife, Okay. The husband comes home one day or whatever, both husbands and wives are working, they come home, and all of a sudden now, uh, the husband's not helping with dinner or the, or the wife's, whatever, whatever, anything. Anything out of the ordinary and out of character action gets taken as an offense. And what happens? There's a little bit of a disconnect. You're not, you know, you're not ready to sign divorce papers yet, but it's a little bit of a disconnect. And so now, if you don't grasp that, if you don't get a hold of that right then and there, if you don't recognize what just happened, then all of a sudden now, you start seeing more out of character responses, activity, actions, words. All of a sudden, words that wouldn't have really hurt you before, you start thinking, what do they mean by that? You're really nice today, babe. Oh, what do they mean by that? Uh, 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 so what are you saying, that I didn't look nice yesterday? <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. What happened? That is a major indicator that there is a disconnect that's beginning to happen. And I'll guarantee you that something that God did or something that God said at some point, Eve began to disconnect. And the enemy recognized that. And he began to come and place a seed in that little space where there's a disconnect. And eventually, there was more of a disconnect and more of a disconnect and more of a disconnect. And that's how relationships end up getting ruined. But thank God, we are about to celebrate in a couple of weeks from now the fact that we have a redeemer who came back and came to this earth to restore, to bring back, to seal that gap, to close that place of disconnect and to reconnect us back to the Father. Are you getting this? This is what we're celebrating at Christmas time. So, Jesus comes to the earth to reveal the truth of the Father. And the truth of Adam and Eve is this. We want to blame the serpent. We want to blame sin. And sin, we should, we should. But sin can't come in unless someone permits it to come in. You and I need to be so careful of those disconnects. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would never happen between me and God. Come on. There's times when we're disappointed because it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to. There's times that your prayer didn't get answered the way you thought it was going to get answered. Don't tell me you're not tempted at some time to disconnect just a tiny little bit. And you start entertaining that thought, God, are you for me or are you against me? How many times have you ever had a situation in your life you, you feel like God himself is, not, is against you? It's like, God, what are you doing? It's like you're pulling the rug out from underneath me. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Little do we realize how much in control he really is of that situation. Because then you look back years later and go, <laughs> that's why all this had to happen. Are you listening to me? Man, we got so much to celebrate for Christmas. So, Paul writes, 4,000 years after the fall, we call it 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is what he writes to the church. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. God promised that a person was going to come, that he would bring back the truth, and this one would overturn all the wrong ideas and all the mistaken concepts that man has ever come up with, all of man's philosophies that, that ultimately do not lead to eternal life but eternal death. This one had to come. Jesus had to come to reveal the truth about the Father. I'm going to ask you this question. I don't want you to show your hands. I don't want you to respond. All I want you to do is to take an inventory on the inside. Have you received this truth about God? Or are you still clinging on to your own ideas? Are you still on the inside going, yeah, well, I know what the Bible says, but you know what? I really believe this. You cannot establish your own belief system. Your belief system is not based on a foundation of truth. Your belief system is not based on the, uh, on the blood that was shed at the cross. You're going to find yourself in a dangerous position. Allow the truth of God's word to penetrate your heart. Allow him to bring you to a place that you can make a decision that you're going to believe the truth about what Jesus did on this earth and what Jesus has promised you for the future. Pray that you're doing that. Amen? Number three, the third reason, and probably one of the most important ones. Tehaka, the more important than salvation? To some extent, yes. Because this one defines your true relationship with the Father. Number three, Jesus had to be born for God to be able to make his spirit available to mankind once again. This is big. You remember in Genesis, it tells us, that God, when he created man, he took a pile of dirt and formed this individual, formed the body. And so I, I, I think very much, I'm almost positive I'm correct in this, that if we were there then, we wouldn't have seen a pile of mud. When God got through with it, there was a body there. There was Adam's body, this legs, arms, eyes, mouth. Everything was there. And it's possible that his heart was even beating. But then it tells us in Genesis that God did something else. It says that he breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. And the Bible says that he became a living being. Translation from Hebrew, Hebrew says he became a speaking spirit. True life came to that body, not when the heart was beating, but when the spirit of God came into his physical body. But then something happened. 
Now, we know in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit doesn't, didn't operate the way he does in the New Testament because Jesus came to restore us back to a place. Now, I want to present this to you, and, 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 and we're going to pull this all together here. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon people. You read the Old Testament, and it says, and the hand of the Lord, or the Spirit of the Lord, came upon so-and-so. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would come upon an individual to empower them to either fight a battle or to perform some kind of a miracle or to be able to, to relate to people in such a way where truth could be deposited in their hearts. In other words, the things that were impossible for the man to do became possible when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. But then once that was accomplished, once that battle was won or once that miracle was performed, the Spirit of God would come off that individual and they would just be normal human beings. But then in the New Testament, we see something different. In the New Testament, we see Jesus dies on the cross, suffers for our sins, pays for our sins. His blood that is shed is accepted by our Father in heaven as payment for us, allowing us to come back in relationship with the Father. We see Jesus raises from the dead for our justification according to the scripture so that we can be made righteous. And then we see another event that takes place 50 days later. The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, comes from heaven to earth and inhabits the disciples never to leave again. Now, let's put it this way. Think of it like this. If Jesus came to restore, the second Adam came to restore what the first Adam lost, and as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit now comes to live in the believer, not just coming upon, not just visiting for a little bit, not just empowering for a particular incident, then restoration in the sight of God has got to include the Holy Spirit abiding in the life of the believer. Christmas represents that reunification of man and God, the believers and their Father in heaven, never to be separated again. But complete restoration comes when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. When does he come to live inside of you? Initially, at the new birth, when you're born again, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus physically does not come to live inside your heart. It is the Spirit of Almighty God who comes to live inside you and seals you for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Church, we've got a lot to celebrate this Christmas. Do not let it get wasted on shiny bows and lovely decorated Christmas trees. Let them be a tool, a mechanism for celebrating what we are truly grateful for. We have a savior. We have a redeemer. He has made the way open for you and I to receive the Holy Spirit of God empowering us to walk out what Jesus would want to walk out here on the earth if he was here in person. Do you realize that you and I are looked at as little Jesuses, fully human, possessing the Spirit of God on the inside of us so that we are empowered to accomplish what Jesus wants us to as his church. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.